the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Ron Arbaugh. This show is sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. This is the Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. All you have to do is place the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of your screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Getting a little bit stronger each day, so I appreciate your continued prayers. Tonight here at Calvary Chapel, I'm going to be teaching in Second Kings chapter 14. A really surprising chapter for me. A lot of real valuable application uh, for New Testament Christians. But that's tonight uh, here at Wednesday. You can watch it at calvarysa.com if you can't get here. It's always better to show up in person. And then tomorrow, after a two-week break, uh, Paula will be with me live in studio uh, for the day-to-day edition of the program. Um, And I'm sure you're looking forward to hearing from her. Well, let's get to some questions that have been sent in while we await uh, any of your phone calls. Our first one is from Carlos from the northeast side. Hi, Pastor Ron. I hope you're feeling better. Thank you, Carlos. I am a little bit. Um, I had a Bible question. Does Jesus talk about issues like gossip and things of that nature? Can you give me some Bible references on that? I've been noticing a lot of people gossiping in my workplace, and I'm just trying to stay away from all that from this day forward. God bless, Carlos. Carlos, it's good to hear from you again. You, you you write in just often enough to let me know that you're doing okay, and that's great. Yeah, the Bible speaks a lot about uh, gossip. Second uh, Corinthians, um, Colossians, um, James talks about the use of the tongue. Uh, brothers out of the same mouth comes blessings and cursings. These things ought not to be. So there is a, a an enormous body of... Um, Scripture regarding gossips, whispering, slander, those kind of things. And Carlos, it's just evil. It's just pure evil. I was always told by my grandma growing up, and I'm not I'm not saved. She was. Ronnie, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. And I think especially for Christians, Carlos, that is a lesson that we all of us should follow. Um, to speak ill of somebody is is really to murder their reputation, uh, to do it 
with uh, malice. In other words, you hope to inflict pain or cause pain to another person uh, is undecidedly um, unchristian. And so it's one of those things that we really need to be sure that we're not like other people. That's an amazing thing. People have to say something about everything. I've got a question coming up in just a moment about that very kind of thing, not gossip, but I have to have an opinion about something. And, and I just think as Christians, we need to stay away from it. And it's wise of you when you say you're trying to stay away from all of that, all of the gossip, um, because it's a safe place to be. It's a safe place to be. Here's our problem, Carlos, is we like to hear gossip. My flesh loves your gossip. So this is one of those things where I've got to say no to my flesh. If somebody wants to start talking about somebody, it's easy for me just to say, you know what? He's not here. She's not here. So why don't we not talk about them? And so you say, well, I'm not really gossiping. It's, well, yeah, kind of you are. Gossip is really saying anything bad about somebody, even if it's true. If you wouldn't say it to them, if they're if, if you don't say it to them when you're in in their presence, then it's not something that you ought to say to anybody else. Let me also add this, Carlos, and this is I think where you're demonstrating wisdom. Listening to gossip is just as serious a sin as being the gossiper. Because what we're doing is we're giving the enemy an opportunity to come in and destroy instead of thinking about that which builds people up we're, we're too easily um, trapped into to that which tears people down so yes the Bible from cover to cover talks about um, our intent talks about the proper use of the Christian mouth and it's not just what Jesus says because Jesus of course talks about if you call somebody a, a fool you're guilty of murder on the Sermon on the Mount and of course he's raising the stakes um, uh, for for Jews. But the idea is we need to be men and women who speak well of other people so as not to be confused with the people in this world uh, who have other agendas. Very, very good. Here's a question from a student at our academy. I love these questions, and they got my email address, so they're sending them. In Genesis 3, was the serpent... Satan in the form of a serpent, or was Satan merely possessing an animal? Also, did snakes have legs before and lost them because of the curse, or is it a case of snakes maybe slithered upright in position after the curse slithered as they do now on the ground? Also, creation ended on day six, but my teacher said that after the the curse, physical changes occurred, such as thorns and thistles appearing. Does that mean... More creation happened, even if it was bad stuff like thorns and thistles. So was there more creation uh, after the fall when things physically changed in the world in a bad way because of sin? Uh, Or what about viruses and diseases and bacteria? Isn't that more creation? Uh, Where were those things before the fall if they were created during the creation week? Also, one other also here in the garden. How long do you think Adam and Eve were there before they sinned? Because God told them to have kids, and they didn't have kids in the garden, so I don't think it was very long. You know, um, to, to, to this particular student, that's a question that we don't have any answers to, the last part of it. We don't know how long they were there. Um, the fact that the Bible doesn't mention they had kids in the garden. Uh, we know that Adam and Eve had many other children besides Cain and Abel. So we we really and truly don't know. Um, um, they could have been there just for a short time enjoying the garden until sin entered and they fell uh, or they could have been there for a long time Uh, it's one of the things that we're just never going to know until we get to heaven and we sort of get to go to the video you know and find out exactly how things happen so there's really no point in asking those questions because there are no answers I often think about Adam as the head of this household uh, for many years after Cain and Abel were born, um, it is my opinion, now this is just my opinion, that uh, at least on a yearly basis, Adam would take his sons uh, to the edge of the garden, perhaps Eve with them as well, and and um, give Adam an opportunity to teach the children. 
Uh, this is where mommy and daddy lived. This is where we were created. This is where we had fellowship with God. We walked in the cool of the garden with God. And I blew it. And what an opportunity that would have been for him to say, because of my disobedience, all of this that you see has now happened. So those are important things to think about. Um, it's also a great lesson for moms and dads today. When we sin, the most important thing we can do is be honest about it with our kids. Now let me get to the other questions in order. Uh, in Genesis 3, uh, I think that the serpent was the most beautiful of all creature of all of, of uh, the creatures. Um, certainly it was an upright creature. Um, as a result of the curse, he was going to fall to his belly and, and slither in the, in the dust of the earth. Um, but, but knowing, just knowing Lucifer, knowing Satan's ego, I don't think Satan would have, have, um, entered into something that was ugly or grotesque. And I think the beauty of the snake, um, is what helped to bewitch Eve and, and, uh, and give Satan that opening. So um, Satan was upright, and we know that only as a result of the curse was he then, no legs removed necessarily, but but destined to, to crawl on his belly in the dust and become the snake that causes a lot of people to get cold, chill bumps, even to this very day. Relative to... Um, physical changes that occurred. Um, you know, Adam was told to, 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 he had dominion over the animals. He was told to, to maintain the garden, uh, even before the fall work was part of God's plan. But the idea here is that um, unattended and when evil enters in the world, these things happen. This is not a new creation. This is just sort of a, a different uh, version, sort of uh, Plants 2.0. Uh, a different version of the old creation. So it's, it's an evolving creation, but evolving as a result of sin. And the same thing would be true relative to your question about the viruses uh, and diseases and bacteria. Not more creation, just the, the curse, the fall, gave those things the opportunity to, uh, to be created. Not, not recreated, but, but to appear. So thank you. I appreciate the question very, very much. I love those kids' questions. Here's a question that frankly irritates me. It's from an anonymous person. I'm not irritated at you, the one who wrote in, but this is just the kind of stuff I was talking in Carlos's question about our use of our tongues. Um, this person says, I go to Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. A friend of mine mentioned the fact that more and more homeless people are in the area and asked what our church is doing about it. I wasn't sure how to answer. I've seen some coming to church on Sundays, and let me interrupt here because we certainly welcome anybody in the community to come to church, and we do have uh, an increasing number of homeless people that come in. They hear the word. Um, I've met some that I believe are truly believers, but remember there's all kinds of mental issues and, and other problems uh, that they're, they're dealing with as well. So this person says, I've seen some coming to church on Sundays, but it's not like we have a soup kitchen. Uh, they seemed, and this is a friend of mine, they seemed offended that we weren't doing more for the community. I explained that we have a free school and a free medical clinic, but they continue to press that we don't seem to be doing anything for the countless homeless in the area. I wasn't sure how to respond. I just hate that fellow Christians spend so much time criticizing what other churches are doing or not doing rather than just staying in their own lane. Can you help me? Anonymous, thank you for the question. But, but these are the kind of things. You know, the homeless situation is something that, that there's no answer for. There's simply no answer for. Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. And in these last days, the homeless population is proliferating, profoundly so. Um, what I would have asked this person, okay, let me tell you, I know what we're doing, but let me ask what you're doing. And their answer would be, well, I, what can I do? There's nothing that I'm doing. Uh, people that ask this question, they have no idea what we're doing to help people. They have no idea 
what happens when we approach people. They're just always looking for some way to criticize the church or a church. Um, And the reality is, as I said, homelessness is a situation that there can't be um, anything done about. People have to want to get out of that condition. And the reality is, it's an ugly reality, but the reality is that most homeless people are content where they are. We have offered to put people up and they've refused. Uh, All they have to do is follow some rules to go to a hotel. We foot the bill and they don't do it. Um, Certainly we offer to feed them, um, um, providing food and and money for food uh, if we see them. Uh, But the reality is that that's not an issue that can be done with. And I would then like to ask this person, what would you have us do? And then say, why don't you come along with us and you can help subsidize what it is you want us to do. Now, let me get more specific. We have a free doctor's office here at Calvary Chapel San Antonio. Malta Medical is its name. It's family practice doctor's office. And we treat people absolutely free. Absolutely free. You can go to a doctor. You can get prescriptions. You can can, um, be checked out. Um, you can be referred to specialists if necessary, uh, but, but people come in, they're treated all of the time. We're doing that absolutely free for the community. That's a huge community outreach. Our clinic, our, our doctor's office isn't for the people at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Uh, I would guess less than 10% of the patient load at Malta Medical are people that come from our church, and that's fine. It is a church for the community, and we get people in to multimedical who would never come to church, and then many times they'll start coming to church, and they'll give their lives to Jesus Christ. But we're doing that and have been doing that now for more than 10 years for our community. I don't know any other churches that do that, and I'm not out criticizing them. Our free school is a school that isn't just for people that come to Calvary Chapel. We have a fairly large number of people in our school who are not from our church and that's okay we want to expose them to jesus christ and their families to jesus christ as well the only requirement we have is that if they enroll their children in our free school um, then then the parents come to church at least twice a month on sundays wednesdays or fridays That's not asking too much. But these are all things that we're doing for the community, things that we get nothing whatsoever about. We just returned from Joy of Jesus, which is our outreach to the homeless. Uh, We took a two-year break, um, as most of you know, because of COVID. Uh, The city wouldn't let us do it at the park. But just in October, the end of October, uh, we had another Joy of Jesus where we, we did so much outreach to the, to the homeless population, um, and they seem to be grateful. So I would ask your friend um, why he's speaking about things that he doesn't know anything about. It wasn't too long ago there was a lady who stopped in and said, what are you doing for that homeless person over there? He said, first of all, we didn't see that somebody was there. Well, you should be doing something about it. She has no idea how many times we approach that person and offered to help. So these are just baseless criticisms, people who don't know, and people who are always looking to pick. So Anonymous, my counsel, though you didn't ask me for counsel, is you stay in your own lane. And if this truly is a friend of yours, then what you need to do is you need to say, you know what, if you, since you're a friend of mine, and I'm assuming this person claims to be a Christian, that they need to start acting like a Christian. Love believes the best. Love always trusts. So I hope that makes sense to you, Anonymous. Thank you for the honest question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. I think there's a lesson for all of us in this. You know, it doesn't matter what you do. There's always going to be people who are trying to find uh, reasons to criticize. And those people are often people that are doing absolutely nothing on their own kind of sitting back and just looking at a reason to point fingers at a church that they're not a part of. Um, stay away from them. Bible's pretty clear. Stay away from people like that. Let them know. Warn them. Tell them that you love them. But at the same time, you're not going to listen to that kind of stuff. That's just the enemy 
trying to give you an opportunity to to uh, to get angry. So good good question. Thank you. Here is a question from Oscar. He says, Paul is the apostle to... Oh, okay. <clears throat> Thank you. My producer just reminded me. This is my follow-up from yesterday. I didn't have enough time um, uh, to answer it completely. So uh, Oscar's question was, Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, but why was Peter the first one to share with Gentiles? Um, Oscar, Peter was the first one to share with Gentiles uh, because Peter, the Jewish leader of the Twelve, um, um, you know, because Jews believed that Gentiles had no part at all in the kingdom of God, that God had nothing to do with Gentiles. Um, there's an old saying that the only value Gentiles had was to fuel the flames of hell. And so when when Peter shared with Cornelius and Gentiles got saved for the first time, there needed to be apostolic validation to declare that God was now working with Gentiles, that he was pouring out his spirit on Gentiles. Um, the reality is that that um, the, the Jews wouldn't have believed that. They wanted nothing to do with Gentiles. You remember in, in, uh, in Acts chapter 10 when Peter went to Cornelius' house, he said, you know, you call me a Jew into your house. You know a Jew shouldn't be in the house of a Gentile. And God was trying to teach Peter something, but it was it was his validation. He'll earlier do the same thing with Samaritans, whom Jews also hated. So uh, that's the reason he just he, God wanted validation, validation that the Spirit of God was truly being poured out on Gentiles, and the evidence was so overwhelming that there was nothing they could do about it. One other thing, Oscar, remember that God always does everything at just the right time. The Apostle Paul, in chapter 9 of the book of Acts, just got saved. He's going to be sort of in the Arabian wilderness for three years, learning directly from Jesus himself. So Gentiles, the word of God began spreading to Gentiles um, before Paul uh, was basically off of Straight Street in Damascus. So... um, yeah, it, it was validation. It was giving Paul time to be uh, prepared for his ministry to the Gentiles. One other thing that I always find interesting about the Apostle Paul is it was always his heart to share with Jews. And he actually was on the verge of, of arguing with the Lord a little bit, not in an ungodly way, but like most humans, well, they'll listen to me because I'm one of them and they'll listen to me. And, and God basically had to say to him, they won't listen to you. Trust me on this. You do what I told you to do. I'm sending you to the Gentiles. And so that was what uh, the, the genesis of Paul's ministry uh, was all about. Good question. Brenda says, Pastor Ron, is believing in the virgin birth of Jesus necessary to be saved? Yes, it is. It is an essential of our historic Christian faith, Brenda. If Jesus's um Father was human, um, and that was the seed that was passed on. Um, then we we'd all be lost because the sin nature would have been passed to Jesus as well. So Mary, being a virgin, and being overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, placing the 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 the, the embryo in her womb. That was absolutely necessary. Um, additionally, it is the fulfillment of prophecy. And that prophecy wasn't fulfilled. And I know people say in the, in the Hebrew, well, that could be a, a maiden or a young woman, uh, the, the Greek word Alma. But, but we go to the New Testament for clarification. And the Greek word used is only used of a woman who never, never had a sexual relationship with a man. So yes, believing in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ is an essential to our historic Christian faith. And if you don't believe that, and I've had people look at me and say, you really believe that a virgin had a baby? My answer is yes. The Bible declares it, Jesus demonstrates it, and the, the, the resurrection from the, from the empty tomb validates everything that Jesus said. He was born of a virgin. Now, after, after Jesus was born, Mary didn't stay a virgin. 
but uh, that is an essential belief of our faith. Last question for this half of the program. We'd love your phone calls. Phones have been quiet yesterday and today. Um, Debbie says, what are the best gifts Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31? Um, Debbie, we have to remember that the early manuscripts didn't have chapter and verse divisions. So chapter 12 starts or stops, and chapter 13 is just a continuing thought. And the best, the best gifts, of course, are love. That's what we're to pursue. We're to pursue the greatest of the gifts, uh, faith, hope, and love. And love, of course, is the greatest of all. So that's the gifts that Paul is referring to. Let me show you a more excellent way. And that more excellent way is the way of love. Something that we all of us need to remember that even when we believe we're operating in the gifts of the Spirit, there's no value to the use of those gifts if, in fact, the motive behind the use of those gifts is not love. I know this sounds simple, but there's a reason chapter 13 comes between chapter 12 and chapter 14. Chapter 12 is an explanation of what the gifts are and what their value is. Chapter 14 is an explanation of how those gifts are to be used in the, in the body. Chapter 13 is the love or the motive behind the use of all of those gifts. Well, we've got 30 minutes left in our program today, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. I'll be back in two minutes. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the program thank you for putting up with my voice 340-9585 for your live calls and questions here's a question from donald um pastor if all humans descended from adam and eve there had to be incest among their offspring. How can God justify that? Two things, Donald. God doesn't have to justify anything. And second, it's impossible for us to understand what an unfallen world is like. Incest became a sin when God said it was a sin. Now, if you start with two human beings and they have kids and then there's kids and then there's cousins, and obviously... That involves sexual relations between people that we would say are related. But in an unfallen world, when the gene pool has not been disturbed at all, and later even after the fall, you know, it took a very long time uh, for people who, who would live to be eight or 900 years old uh, to start decreasing. After the flood, um, they begin decreasing uh, in terms of how long their lifespan was. It was because the gene pool um, hadn't been distrib- uh, um, disturbed the way the way it is now. So God later would lay down the rules. Incest is sin, but back then it wasn't sin, and it was the only way. Multiply, be fruitful, and multiply. The only way that could happen is by humans having sex. And so that was just the way it is. There was nothing sinful about it. And um, um, as I said, God doesn't have to justify anything. Here's a question from Kent. He wants to know, are the rapture and the second coming the same event or different? Uh, Kent, they're very different events. Uh, The rapture of the church is the church of Jesus Christ being um, raptured, taken away to meet the Lord in the air before that the great tribulation begins and before the second coming of the Lord. The second coming of Jesus to the earth, you can read about that in Revelation chapter 19. That's when he comes. He sets his feet on the Mount of Olives and he right then and there destroys his enemies and establishes his kingdom. So two very different events. Um, The second coming um, um, obviously will be after the rapture of the church. Um, The rapture of the church is the very next thing to happen on the prophetic calendar. Uh, There's nothing else that needs to be happening. You often will hear me say in this program that 
Um, the, the, the rapture is imminent. It could happen at any moment. Um, nothing else has to occur. Uh, all things have been fulfilled. We're just waiting now for God's patience to run out with sin in this world. Then we'll be taken to be with Jesus, caught up in the air. He's not coming here for us. We're being caught up in the air to meet him in the air. And then we'll be with him for seven years. And we'll return with Jesus as at his second coming. So, Kent, that's pretty clear, I hope. Here is a question from Leslie. Um, is it right for Christians to be against abortion when they're offering no help at all once the women have their babies? You know, Leslie, this is another one of those dishonest arguments. People don't know what they're talking about. Um, I can't tell you how much help churches provide for pregnant women who want to keep a baby. Um, I have a bunch, just, and I'm just one little church in a little tiny part of the world. Um, I have a whole bunch of people that would not only help a woman have and keep a baby, but if the woman didn't want to keep the baby, they would, they would be eager adopters of those babies. So the idea that, that Christians aren't offering any help at all, it's like, it's like well, uh, the whole world is full, filled with weeds and nobody's picking the weeds. Um, people that love Jesus Christ have been trying to help the unborn and help women to keep the unborn alive from the very beginning of all of this. It's very important that you understand that these are not honest arguments. It's just parroting um, sort of sound bites that come from those who are trying to fight and protest for the right to murder unborn children. That's very important. There's something else here that we need to consider as well, Leslie. Um, when, when women have sex, there's a strong possibility they're going to get pregnant. When they're making adult decisions, there needs to be adult consequences. We've had a couple of young women in our church who grew up knowing and loving Jesus. Um, they fell into sin at one particular time, got pregnant, um, and they had to deal with the consequences. Believers and unbelievers alike have to deal with the consequences. And and whenever we, we try to shield people from the consequences of their adult decisions, we're not providing them any help at all. So yes, it's right for Christians always to be against abortion. In fact, real Christians have to be against abortion. But the reality is that, that the amount of help that's offered to these women, um, help in raising a child or adopting a child, um, the, 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 the amount of help is is enormous. And we need to be aware of that. Here is a question from Gary. How do we know that kids who die go to heaven when they're affected by original sin? Good question, Gary. Um, Jesus says in John chapter 3, right after uh, the most famous verse in our Bibles, verse 16, uh, he says that we're born condemned already. And so you're right. Every child is born with a sin nature. But here's the issue. The issue is what are they accountable for? You know, a baby sins. Any 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 adult who's been around a, a newborn baby knows it doesn't take long for them to sin. Uh, but they're not aware of their sin. They're not aware of anything. They're completely helpless, and they're 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 completely that um, um, they have to be completely protected. Um, so so yes, they're guilty, but they're not accountable because they have no awareness of what they're doing. So yes, they are sinners. Original sin affects everybody. However, the reality is that God only judges us based on what we did with what we know. And there is an age of accountability that we don't know really anything about. It varies from person to person. Uh, I know kids that uh, I knew were absolutely accountable and gave their heart to Jesus Christ at three and four years of age, knew exactly what they were doing and continued to walk with Jesus for many years. Um, at the same time, I've known uh, kids that were a little bit older that really seemed to be clueless 
about spiritual things. So it's an age of accountability, but remember, God knows everything, so that's not an issue for him, it's an issue for us. We also know, Gary, that um, when David, uh, his son uh, Bathsheba was pregnant with, died, uh, David got up from his grieving, and when asked why he stopped grieving, he said, look, I know that he cannot come to me, but I will go to him. And the idea there is David knew that his son would be in heaven and be awaiting him when he got to heaven as well. So we've got some biblical um, precedents for it, but we also have to rely on the character, the nature, and the justice of God. Remember, God never judges anybody for what they don't know. We're only accountable for what we do with what we do know. And we might want to try and fool people, but we can never fool God. Galatians says that God will not be mocked. He knows those who are his. Good question, Gary. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here's a question from Stuart. Uh, Is it okay if husbands and wives watch pornography together to help their intimacy? Stuart, the answer is no when you know the answer is no. That's not helping your intimacy at all. All that is doing is inflaming your lust and certainly that's not keeping the marriage bed pure, as Hebrews chapter 13 tells us. So no, it's never okay. And husbands that drag their wives in, and I've actually had husbands who would tell their wives, well, you have to submit to me, and then ask their wives to do something ungodly. Remember, wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. If Jesus wouldn't ask you to do something that your husband's asking you to do, you got to make a choice. And your choice always has to be I choose Jesus. So, no. Um, More damage is done by men watching pornography and to drag women into it just exacerbates the circumstances. But more damage is done. Um, It's just, it's, it's unholy. I understand, believe me, I'm not a prude. I understand the purient interest. I understand how our flesh at least initially loves it. Uh, but the reality is, is be delighted with the wife God gave you. See her through his eyes and believe me, you'll have no problem with intimacy. Watching pornography is not love, it's lust. Um, sexuality apart from the presence of Jesus is is simply lust. I hope that makes sense to you, Stuart. But it is not okay, period. Here's a question from Rita. She says, My church has decided that any woman who serves must wear skirts or dresses rather than pants. I'm really upset. What should I do? Rita, it would appear to me now, obviously the only information I have is what I just read, what you wrote me. Um, It would upset me too. It would upset me a great deal. Um, I would sit down with my pastor and talk to him about it. I would let him know that you're upset about it, that you think it's unfair. Um, but then find out what his heart is on it, if his heart is legalism. And and unfortunately, that's usually the case. These kind of things, these incidents are found in legalistic churches. Then probably you're in an, uh, an unhealthy, out-of-balance church, and it might be time to think about leaving, but give your pastor an opportunity. Sit down and talk with him about it. Why did you make this choice? You know, uh, we're sort of a casual church around here at Calvary Chapel, Rita, and um, um, I'm going to go at this from a a different angle, Um, but we have people on the worship team, for example, who are serving on stage, and I have had a hard time in the past uh, with, with the men wearing jeans, blue jeans, you know, just regular blue jeans. And I'm thinking, you know, for Sundays especially, couldn't we just step it up a little bit? And and praying about it, I just thought, you know what, Lord? Um, I know their hearts. I know the work that they put into it. And I, I know that they're serving faithfully and they love you with all of their heart. And, and I was directed by the Holy Spirit to sort of leave that alone. Uh, I want people to look nice. I don't want them to wear, like, gym clothes or anything. Um, but... I think we ought to do the best we can to put our best foot forward if we have a public ministry. 
But this is not an essential. It's certainly not something I can point to in the Bible. So it's something that I sort of let God deal with. And the reality is that he does a pretty good job. And and, uh, our our guys look really, really nice. Um, Sometimes our women are wearing dresses and skirts up there. Uh, Other times they're wearing pants. Uh, Paula is on the worship team. And um, she hardly ever goes to church without asking me if what she's wearing is okay. And um, she just wants to be sure that, that I'm okay with it and and uh, her desire is to, to please me. And uh, so we just sort of let it go. So I would, I would think that's a church that's leaning toward legalism, but give your pastor a chance to explain his heart to you. I think that's probably the best thing to do. The, the one thing you don't want to do is talk to other people about it and get other people stirred up or have other people get you stirred up. Uh, just handle it the way a Christian should handle it. Handle it directly and in love with your pastor, and then you can make a decision. And honestly, if if your pastor says, um, yeah, I, I just think women need to dress this way or that way, then probably it would be time to start looking for a different church. So, Reed, I hope that makes sense to you. Here's a question from Liam. How can I tell the difference between conviction and just feeling guilty about something? Liam, that's a hard question because a lot of times conviction is feeling guilty about something. And, you know, I, I tell our church here all the time that feeling guilty is a good thing if, in fact, you're guilty about something. So uh, guilt and conviction are kind of the same thing. Now, if you ask me the question, the difference between conviction and condemnation, my question, or my answer rather, would be much different. Uh, conviction of the Spirit draws you closer to God. Condemnation, which is always from the devil, we know Romans 8 1 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, condemnation draws you away from the Lord. So um, if you're just feeling guilty about something, here's what you need to do. You need to take a walk with the Lord and say, Jesus, is this you trying to get a hold of my heart on something? I'm doing this. Is this displeasing to you? Paul says that we're free to do all things, but there's never a better use of our freedom than to surrender it for the glory of God. So he says, all things are are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. And I think uh, if the Holy Spirit's knocking on the door of your heart about something, uh, then it's something that you ought to pay attention to. Let me give you just one example, Liam, that, that... I think Christians here deal with a lot, Christians that smoke. Um, you know, there's no sin. It doesn't say in the Bible, thou shalt not smoke. And yet somebody will feel guilty about smoking, and they'll say, well, well, I know there's, I, I shouldn't feel guilty. But, but there's a lot of times when the Holy Spirit's knocking on the door of a heart and saying, I have more ministry for you if you'll just let me take this one thing from you. And while somebody may smoke and have complete conscience, freedom of conscience to do it, there may be somebody else who, when they're smoking, the Holy Spirit is saying, gosh, if you give this up, I have so many more opportunities for you to minister to other people. So those are the kinds of thought processes, prayerful um, um, decisions that you can come to. But it really needs to be something that you need to take to heart. Always pay attention to, to what the Holy Spirit is, is pointing to when he's convicting you about something. Uh, Paul always says, I love conviction. And while that's kind of a weird thing, um, the reason she loves it is because then she can deal with whatever she's being convicted about and be free from it. And I think that's really important, Liam. So I hope that makes sense to you. Patty says, Ooh, Patty, this is one of my pet peeves here. Patty says, uh, Pastor Ron, what does the Bible say about churches and or ministries, especially radio ministries, that spend so much time asking for money? Ooh, how much time do I have left? Um, Patty, the Bible doesn't say anything about it. Unfortunately, the Bible doesn't have a chapter for those of us who have um, local or national radio ministries. Um, uh, our our church, we have a, our, our radio program, our teaching programs are on uh, all over the country. Um, we've never asked for a penny. 
uh, on this program we've been on now for 10 years and we've never asked for a, a penny. Uh, we've never let our needs be known. God has made that very clear to us. And I want to be specific. He's made it very clear to us that we're never to ask for money or let our needs be known. Um, and so what we try to do is make the best use of the 26 minutes that we're giving in a 30-minute teaching program to teach the Bible, to tell people about Jesus. What really bothers me, Patty, is that that these national ministries, and some of them are wonderfully gifted Bible teachers, godly men uh, who, um, especially this time of year, you know, every radio ministry depends on contributions and especially um, year-end contributions and you're being bombarded. We're all being bombarded. Um, now there's a new editing format that seems to have become popular where there's eight minutes of teaching, a break for an intermission, and then another eight minutes and another break for an intermission uh, until they get to the end where there's a third opportunity to ask people for money and tell them how important it is in these last days of this year. If you want to keep us on the air, we need your help. We need your partnership. And I think it is an embarrassment to the church, Patty. I think it's an embarrassment. I think it says so much about how little our faith really is. We've always taken the approach here that um, if God asks us to be on, he would provide um, he has. Um, do we need money? Of course we need money. Everybody needs money. Airtime is expensive. Um, but I'd rather my money come from the Lord rather than trying to make the listening audience feel guilty about it. And I want to say it again. I think it is embarrassing. Not only that, but now there are all kinds of gimmicks. We've got a matching donor, which will in effect double your contribution. This is the time to do it. Those kind of things, selling things uh, for your gift of any size uh, will send you this. I just think that's manipulation and marketing, and I think it has no place in the part of a ministry that is serving the Lord. So, Patty, you asked the question that's as direct as I can be, uh, and having said all of that, I have to say that Every other ministry that I am aware of, every other ministry asks for money and is spending more and more of their 26 minutes each week asking for you to contribute. So good, bad, or indifferent, it is something that has always bothered me and there's not much I can do about it. I'm not going to change the church culture. Uh, all I can do is be faithful and do what God has asked us to do and try to do it without getting judgmental about them. I hope nothing that I said came across as being judgmental. They're going to have to stand before God just as I am. And um, most of the people that I know, and I've talked to a few of them about it, uh, most of them say, well, you know, it costs money and God would want us to do that. Well, we're all going to find out on Judgment Day, Reward Day, or Loss of Reward Day. Ollie asks, and this is a question that kind of goes along with uh, Carlos's question at the beginning of the program today. He says, what is the difference between gossip and sharing genuine concerns about someone? There's no difference at all, Ollie. No difference at all. If you have genuine concerns about someone, you go to them, period. Talk to them face-to-face, -face, um, in love. Um, Jesus will be there with you. Um, but but there's no reason that we ever have to bring up anybody else's name unless you're saying good things about them. There's really, if you think about it, no reason for anyone to bring up um, the name of somebody who's not involved in the conversation. There's just no need. Uh, it's so much easier to have a clear heart. It's so much easier to 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 be able to truly pray for people. Now, if you want to talk to people because you have genuine concerns about them, then pray for them. Pray for them continually. God will listen to you uh, uh, as long as your heart's not judgmental or gossipy. God will listen to you. And if your heart is judgmental or gossipy, then he's going to correct you. But there's just no difference at all 
between gossip and then bringing somebody in close saying, you know, I, I don't want this to sound like gossip, but I really have concerns about this action or this behavior. Just resolve never to bring up somebody else's name. If they're not there in person, you don't need to bring up their name other than being a blessing, speaking well of them, um, letting people know what a blessing they've been in your life. Um, I, I think it's time where we can really start spending our time talking um, in edifying ways about people. And I think we're going to find that that really pleases the Lord. Okay, no calls today. Here's the last question I'll get to today. This is Jesse. Uh, he says, "In this, I'm going to skip this one and come to it on Friday, Jesse. It's too long for what I've got. Uh, Anonymous says, In the parable of the pearl of great price, are we the merchant or are we the pearl? We are the pearl. We're the treasure, Anonymous. And once you get a hold of that truth, believe me, it'll change your life. We're the one when we found the treasure, and he says when he found one of great value, he sold everything he had. Well, that's what our Father in Heaven did. When he found one of great value, you and me, he sold everything he had. I like to say that he emptied the bank of heaven. He sent his only son so that we could believe and be saved. And so we're the treasure. We're the pearl of great price. And that parable doesn't work any other way. When people say, no, Jesus is the pearl, and we have to sell everything that we have and follow him. That is bad hermeneutics. It makes no sense at all. And it flies in the face of the rest of Scripture. The, the beauty of this parable, Anonymous, is that you are the pearl, and I'm the pearl. And what a wonderful, wonderful blessing it is to know how much God loves us. So, hope that answers your question, just in time. Tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio with us on the date day edition of the program. I'm going to make her do most of the talking tomorrow. She, her voice is fine, as always. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Uh, Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. AM 630, The Word. We hope you've enjoyed The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron. You can find out more about Pastor Ron and all of the folks over at Calvary Chapel by logging on to calvarysa.com. Once again, calvarysa.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.